Welcome everyone, this is All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 182, recording this on Wednesday the 7th of June 2016, after about a 9 or 10 day break, but it's been half term in the UK and gloriously sunny, so we've got lots of good excuses, haven't we, Rafe Blanford? We have, yes, you know, there's going to be plenty to talk about, but it was uh, good to have a week off, I think, after what was a pretty uh, long podcast uh, in the previous episode, but there's actually been a few bits going on in the last uh, 10 days or so and some wider topics and no doubt we'll wander into other conversational areas as we always do well that's a pretty good introduction to uh, half an hour of waffle and wibbles but (laughs) (laughs) uh, first of all let's start off with uh, people have been talking of course about things like the quoted the fabled app gap which is kind of a misnomer because if you look at the 20 or 30 most popular applications in say the android or ios app store something like 17 or 18 out of the 20 are do have versions for windows windows phone or windows 10 mobile but i know what they mean it's those niche apps it's the boutique apps it's some banking apps it's the shopping apps that sort of thing and uh, in that very vein, we've had a, the Bank of America, which is a big, big one, especially if you're in America, obviously, has launched its universal Windows program today. So that's Windows 10 Mobile and Windows 10 on the desktop, obviously, um, tablets as well. And that's a very big name to have in the uh, ecosystem, Rafe. It, it is. And obviously, uh, you sort of gave the highlights on the app gap there. I always tended to take a probably a slightly more sceptical view than you on this, in that, you know, it was, I thought that there'd be a chance to catch up, especially while... Uh, Windows Phone was doing lots of volume. Now I think that's less true. And of course, a lot of these uh, big organizations, and I'm thinking, you know, kind of the banks and, you know, your your top couple of hundred apps, uh, it's going to be harder to justify continuing to support and maintain an application, but that's largely going to depend on how you do it. So for example, if it's just for Windows Phone and you've maybe, you know, you're in a country where you're maybe talking, I don't know, tens of thousands of customers, you know, it's still a lot, but relative to the maybe hundreds of thousands or millions you might have on iOS or Android, then you you can certainly understand why some applications are being withdrawn. And a recent example of that is actually someone like PayPal. Now, I don't think those numbers would necessarily be reflected there, but certainly they had far fewer uh, Windows Phone users than they did iOS and Android, and they recently announced they were dropping not just uh, Windows Phone, but BlackBerry and also Amazon Fire OS. Um, each of those, you can kind of understand maybe in third, fourth, and fifth position in terms of the the ecosystems. But you also can measure that against uh, these UWP apps, which, of course, do serve Windows 10 on the desktop and the tablet as well. And you do the phone. Now, you don't get the phone for free. I mean, that's a bit of a misnomer. You do actually have to think about the layout and everything else. Uh, but at least it's arguably less work than having to do something just for Windows Phone and maybe not doing something for the desktop or tablet devices. And, you know, I think for the big organizations, reaching the last couple of percent actually is a big deal and they they can justify it. So it's going to very much depend on what it is. I mean, something like banking is an interesting one because it's the app is such a core thing to the experience now that it's hard to see why you know you'd be willing to throw away even a, uh, a couple of percent but as i say largely dependent on the the numbers and i think uh, in the windows well at least doing it as a uwp app makes sense because basically gives you extra business justification for doing so because you can say look we yeah. can also reach these other other users on it and where i probably will disagree with you a bit more is i actually you know, think the long tail um is significant uh there's a couple of reasons for that is nobody has 
uh, a situation where everyone likes the same 20 or 30 apps. Everyone has a different combination. And I agree, the top 10 may be common, but those next 10 are probably going to be slightly different. And that's where, you know, you tend to miss out a little bit on uh, Windows. And sometimes they're this, sometimes they won't. And the last 10, um, you almost certainly won't have because they're on the long tail. It's also about when you get the most recent apps. And, you know, we've seen this with things like Instagram and Vine. You know, either they arrive late or they don't have feature parity. And so it's not just enough to think about whether the app exists or not. It, you know, is the experience as good as does it have the same set of functionality? Um, but also, you know, from kind of the startups, when you're seeing apps around, you know, um, Uber would be an example. Of course, that's now on Windows as well. But um, things like Delivery or a lot of the on-demand, the startup apps, if you like, where, you know, they launch first on iOS, they then get onto Android, and then Windows may come later. But I think a lot of the time now, especially when we're looking at the new market reality where it might be, you know, millions of phones being produced a quarter instead of tens of millions of phones, you know, that ecosystem size, it's getting harder and harder to justify the investment to do that. You know, the UWP stuff perhaps is the saving grace of that. So I think, you know, you you have to say actually the app gap is going to come back and haunt Windows um, and Windows for mobile in particular, I think. Um, You know, I I noticed, Steve, you've talked about this in sort of recent editorials. You do set that against the changing nature of apps and it's not just about that. You know, it's about bots. It's about uh, mobile web that you know, full range of interfaces or properties which you can access modern services. But I don't think we should kid anyone. Apps are still the thing which everything else will orbit around. It's where you have your deepest engagement, your longest conversations as a brand. But um, you're right. I mean, also, you, there, there are always some reasons to be optimistic or celebrate some of the good news. And yes, something like the Bank of America, you know, obviously a big brand in the States, the fact it's a UWP app and then it's sort of available across all these. And, you know, uh, it will do, you know, the full banking experience. It does the loan stuff. It does the uh, Merrill Lynch, Merrill Lynch kind of investment uh, accounts. It lets you do the bill payment. It lets you deposit checks as well as all kind of all the stuff you'd expect it to do. It does. And it'll be really interesting to know, you know, what the thinking for, you know, uh, Bank of America is behind this, you know, what their strategy is, you know, have they decided that accessing Windows users in this way, when presumably, you know, they could go via website, and here I'm thinking more tablet and desktop, um, but clearly they believe it's important enough. And I think for certain, um, you know, service segments, it absolutely makes sense to kind of do tablet yeah, and, and yeah. desktop apps as well. That said, you know, the web for most people is universal. And actually I noticed in another editorial you did this week, you actually kind of express this opinion when saying there's a favorite for that. So I guess I'd pass it back to you and go is, you know, when when is mobile web good enough? Or, or would you always say that the app, which I certainly feel, typically gives you the best possible experience and certainly for brands allows for deeper levels of engagement and sort of retargeting, all those kind of buzzwords around marketing. It's easier to do in an app than it is on a website. You know, the web is great for discovery and that's how you get into a service. But in terms of repeated transactions or wanting to send push notifications, do that kind of re-engagement strategy and retention, apps are superior. And so you know, for a Windows user, it kind of is maybe less relevant that, but certainly for the you know, the app producers, you have to think about that. But um, yeah, so hand it back to you to maybe talk about that favorites editorial a bit as well. 
Yeah, it very much depends what the service is about, what the uh, site is about, what the application is intended to do. The Bank of America one is interesting. So, for example, in addition to doing the usual online banking stuff, and I, I bank via Microsoft Edge on my Lumia quite happily. Lloyds Bank in the UK is a really excellent mobile website. I can transfer money. I can adjust standing orders, all of that stuff. Very, very easy, very quick. There's no real need for an application. And when they did have an app, it was basically a web wrapper. Having said that, Bank of America have gone one stage further. And America, this wonderful facility where apparently you can, you can deposit checks just by taking a photograph of them. And I, I'm really rather jealous of that. But that's a classic application of, of uh, example of where you, you couldn't just have a web wrapper. You've got to have a, a local application in order to have that access to those, to the camera and so, so forth and to the photos library. So I guess that for the Bank of America, they wanted to go the extra mile and have this extra functionality. And for them, the application absolutely made sense. And of course, it applies to tablets with a camera, and even laptops with a built-in camera that you can even presumably deposit checks using your laptop's um, front-facing camera. Um, PayPal is not, just to put the other side of the coin. I mean, we, we talked about PayPal officially withdrawing their old Windows Phone 8 application. I mean, there's no telling whether they'll produce a UWP version, but just think about how you access PayPal, Rafe. Normally, if I said, Rafe, can you send me £10 by PayPal right now? What you probably do is go into your Surface or your laptop and you go to paypal.com. You'd sign in with two factor authentication or however you normally do it, and you'd say send money and you type in my email address. Um, that's all via a web browser. You wouldn't typically, I'm guessing, think of going to a PayPal application on a phone to do that. Your, your first thought with PayPal is the web experience. PayPal is a web service for most people. Certainly, it's how I think of it. And there's no real interaction with cameras and microphones and all the and GPS and things that might need the services that an application would have access to. So there's a two side of the coin. The Bank of America wanted to go the extra mile. And yes, it's made good use of it. PayPal, I think they could probably get away very well with um, a very good responsive website as Lloyds Bank do in the UK. And, and people access it as if they would on a on a laptop or tablet. And let's face it, with today's smartphones with five inch, five and a half, six inch screens, I mean, you're almost into mini tablet territory and the web experience it's actually very, very good. It contrast, you know, the mobile web back in 2007 on our two and a half inch screen Nokia S60 devices. It's a different world, Rafe. It, it, it is. I mean, and while I agree with you, there isn't anything inherently in PayPal that uh, you can't do through a website. I would actually choose to do it through an app. And I think this actually is a really important point. It very much depends on your audience. And I think some are more app centric than others. And actually payments is an interesting one because if you want to do it very quickly, an app offers a superior experience. And actually, if you're able to do the biometrics to kind of get into the app, you can actually make a payment in maybe just you know, five or 10 seconds. You're never going to be able to get that speed out of the web. Um, and I've used the PayPal app to do exactly those kind of payments and uh, on both Windows. And, and honestly, it's a superior experience on an iOS or an Android device with the fingerprint scanner. But I will will grant you that you know you can do a lot of this on the web, which is kind of interesting. Um, I think from a Windows point of view, that if you're the sort of person that isn't sort of really, if you like, app centric, or that's the way you live your life, and then actually you know, using these websites because they are the kind of great equalizer. It's the basic minimum everyone expects to have a good mobile web experience now, which is actually pretty interesting because if you go back even a few years, that wasn't really the case with. Know, banking websites, you know, responsive, you know, has been around, I guess, for what, five or six years, uh, probably a bit longer than that. And certainly we had M.sites before that. 
But actually, this uh, idea of mobile first, which is caught on, well, again, that goes back three or four years, but they're seeing more and more sites that do that. And I would contrast that to responsive, where it's responsive, it's a PC or a desktop site squeezed into and made to work on mobile versus kind of mobile first responsive when it's made for mobile and then it will also extend to desktop uh, if necessary. And, you know, that's where you get the performance improvements because, you know, there'll be less page weight, all of those things. Uh, I mean, we don't want to get into a technical discussion of uh, do, doing uh, mobile web first delivery writing, but there's lots of stuff around uh, responsive images and optimization. And, you know, we've sort of seen HTTP2 come in and kind of the evolution of Google's speedy technology and all that kind of thing, which I think is a really interesting to, thing to have. And it has, you know, there's always been this debate of web versus apps. And certainly the web technology has moved on a lot. You can do more and more in the web browser um, and it's notable that you can access uh, the camera. So I suspect actually it probably would be possible to do check deposit, for example, through uh, a web browser now. Um, sometimes it can be a bit tricky lining up all the different versions of the browser and those APIs aren't always the same. And actually we're going to see this, I think, very obviously later this year when things like Apple Pay and Android Pay are available uh, not just in apps or in the special wallet on the phone, but in those mobile browsers as well. And I think that, you know, the general trend has always been to move more and more features to be accessible by the browser. Location's another good example. Uh, but you're right to say the richest experiences always come through apps. You know, that's the APIs, you know, the bits that you're going to be unlocking. And, you know, whether that's something like force touch on the iPhone, which you can only do in an app or, you know, a particular Google API, that's all all, all part of that. But of course, the other interesting thing here is that apps themselves and uh, mobile web is evolving. And we have to think about the other services that exist on a phone. And you see this in push notifications on Windows and on, indeed on all the other platforms as well. There's also things like the wallet and the ability to save vouchers to that. And again, existing across all three platforms, the ability to have bots running in Facebook Messenger, which kind of behave like mini apps or something like WeChat. That's been a pioneer of almost this, you know, the app itself becoming a platform to deliver services uh, over and above beyond the kind of mobile web and app, which have been the two big traditional silos in this space. And so I think we're getting a much more you know, fragmented, but actually probably the better word for it is sort of heterogeneous system where you've got all these kind of different services or containers through which a, a service or a offering can be delivered. I think we're going to go more that way. And in some, you know, for, for Windows, that can be quite good because actually uh, web is great and doing it through messaging bots is great because obviously then you just need to get the one app onto your platform, you know, Facebook Messenger uh, in that particular case or WeChat. Um, it becomes more problematic when you start thinking about some of the audio interfaces um, because they can be quite specific if we think about Google Now or um, Siri, but then you've got Cortana and actually you know, at Build this year, Microsoft talked about the idea of assistants calling in uh, bots and said that actually it was less interested in providing the way that might happen. It did use Skype as an example and use Cortana as an example, but said these bots could be all, all over the place and have lots of different places where they'd be surfaced and actually it'd be Microsoft technology kind of in the cloud and the back end powering them, the artificial intelligence. And so, you know, that that's a bit of a change. But also then you look at uh, what Google announced at... Um, uh, Google I.O. just uh, a few weeks ago, and actually it was kind of the second version of their instant apps, this idea that you'd be able to stream apps onto the phone. Now, Microsoft isn't really working on anything similar that I'm aware of on Windows, and Apple's yet to make some announcement in that space, but that really blurs the line between 
you know, what's web and what's an app. And in this case, Google is suggesting that, you know, you go to a search result and you might get part of an app streamed down to you to be able to have that app-like experience delivered in a, a web-like fashion. I, I did see a, a good cartoon around this that, you know, it was, oh, I had this brilliant idea of invented streaming apps. And someone goes, well, actually, you've just invented websites. Uh, and <laughs> but, but, but the point I'm making here is actually, um, you know, and it's actually far beyond the discussion of Windows here, um, that actually we've seen apps be relatively static in the way that they're formed and what they do. I would say for as long as the last decade, ever since smartphones have been around, even when we were sideloading them onto Symbian devices or even going back to the sign organizers, it was kind of the app sat in a silo. And we've had technology come in that kind of makes them a bit more acceptable, stuff like deep linking or the ability to call one app from another. But increasingly now we're kind of seeing this ability to for them there to be extensions or SDK so you can exist in other apps. And we're seeing services sort of unbundled from the app and then rebundled into another app. So in Google Maps now you can order an Uber or some other uh, taxi service. We're seeing the same thing in CityMap. And there's a couple of examples of uh, Windows app that allow you to do this thing. Um, you know, for example, that the kind of the sharing framework that exists effectively allows other apps to exist inside another app and you know there's the deep linking as well that you can move between them all all of that to me suggests that the kind of the barriers between apps but then also into the kind of wider service framework is really breaking down and we'll see as far as the consumer is concerned they won't really care and so moving from a website uh, to an app maybe calling in a messaging bot at the appropriate moment it's just going to be the way these services are, are, are represented and so while it's Obviously, at the moment, we talk about the app gap and we talk about the importance of apps. Um, you know, for Windows, I think there's a real problem and it's just a question of scale and volume. You know, there just it isn't a big enough ecosystem out there for developers and for brands to justify doing the level of investment that's required to do kind of Windows-only solutions. Um, but, you know, actually, we're kind of moving away from that environment to where you may sort of have access to these things through other means um, and is that a response to kind of the fact that there's multiple mobile platforms? I don't really think so. I just think the way that that's the way it's developing. I think Windows will always be a, a poor stepchild, certainly in the mobile domain. Um, but it's probably encouraging if you're a, a Windows user to understand that actually there's going to be all these other ways you can access things. Yeah. And it won't just be on phones as well. I mean, this actually has benefits for things like the Amazon Echo. And that's really an endpoint in your home for a whole bunch of familiar services it's probably not going to do anything radically different in terms of new services. It's just a new way of addressing it. And instead of, you know, saying, logging into your smartphone app to make a payment, you might well speak to your speaker, the Amazon Echo, and set, tell it to pay your electricity bill or whatever it happens to be. And that will, will trigger something that way. And so, you know, in one sense, I think the world where we're completely dominated by smartphone apps that sit in a very specific silo isn't coming to an end and you know it's still going to be an absolutely massive economy and don't get me wrong you know there's a million plus apps in each of google play and the apple store but it, it's also just worth thinking a little bit beyond that um as i say i think for windows there is this um you know there is this scale question that kind of makes it kind of a bit of a moot point in some ways um but if you're someone like you know, i think steve you're probably a good example he's not app obsessed this ability to access these things through the mobile web as kind of the grand unifier, if you like, but also potentially through things like Facebook Messenger or through other digital devices that you own. And actually this ability maybe to have it across multiple screens, as is the kind of the vision of the UWP apps. And I think that could extend into your TV and 
time thanks to things like xbox and you know maybe the ability to use the ambient screens around you is i think worth thinking about and is really very interesting indeed yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, even the phrase mobile web kind of rankles with me because these oh, yeah. days we, it is basically, it is the web. And so many sites now do a really good job of being responsive and not just all about Windows Phone. Uh, but for example, um, one thing that I've been trying to do for ages is to access most of Google's services on Windows Phone because I also have an Android phone. It would be kind of nice to access the same data on each. So I try it and I try the various Google websites as accessed through Microsoft's browser du jour. Um, now, the latest version of Edge, oh, I suspect it's more Google's then really, look, accessing Google Drive, which has previously been a right pain. I noticed, uh, and did some screenshots for the article as a favourite for that, Google Drive is now pretty accessible. It's not obviously perfect. It's nowhere near the Android version because you can't actually edit documents online as you can with Android. Um, but you can basically, you can browse your Google Drive. You can search for things. You can bring up documents. You can preview them on the screen in many cases. Um, you can also download them to your phone, your, your Microsoft Windows 10 mobile phone or whatever, and then edit them there. There's all sorts of things you can do, which you couldn't do a year ago. So obviously Google has been working on its websites. And I, I guess the idea really, I have a fondness for accessing things via one interface for all applications, all services. And I know that's a bit of a utopian idea, but with browsers getting more and more capable, whether it's Chrome or Safari or Edge in this case, and we've got extensions coming um, in the anniversary update in about a month or two's time, which will also come to, the, to mobile, including ad blocking, important to many people, and the fact we've got larger screens. I mean, the, the smaller screen on any of my uh, Windows 10 uh, mobile devices here is 5.2 inches, and I suspect many people are using the 950XL or the 1520, etc., so, or the 640XL with larger screens again. We're getting to the point, really, where it's not quite a desktop web experience, but, you know, it's not that far off. And most of the websites that people access, including PayPal and Lloyd's Bank and whatever and Pizza Hut and Google Drive, they do the sensible thing. They don't look an abomination like they did, for example, a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, I think the the kind of the development of the mobile web is probably one of the unheralded things in the smartphone space because it's kind of happened bit by bit. Uh, and actually, I mean, for Windows phone users, I think the advent of Windows 10 Mobile and Edge, which pretends to be kind of an Android or an iPhone-like browser, and um, you know, it's a much more recent version of Internet Explorer, or I guess we should call it Edge. It's basically the more up-to-date rendering engine. It's sort of more compatible with the standards. I mean, Internet Explorer has a pretty bad history and a bad reputation amongst web developers. But yeah. the more recent versions have gone much more to the kind of Chrome and Safari model of kind of a continuous pattern of updates, but also been better about supporting web standards. Now, it's not perfect, and you kind of alluded to that, in that some things won't work. But it is very noticeable. I, I would say it's one of the biggest benefits of upgrading to Windows 10 Mobile is you get access to the Edge browser, which is, um, I think, in terms of standard support and the way it's recognized by websites. And obviously, uh, that comes down to the user agent that it's using and those uh, sites sort of deeming it to be an advanced mobile browser as opposed to a basic mobile browser. You get a much better experience across a lot of these uh, web services. And yeah. it's very noticeable in the Google version, you kind of get the very basic mobile one on Windows Phone 8 and Windows 10 Mobile. You kind of get the one that's optimized for sort of high-end touchscreen smartphones or at least Android and iOS devices. And it does it does make a difference. Um, and some of these things that weren't usable before or were a bit clunky suddenly become much nicer. And actually, it's I would say you kind of get these web apps rather than web pages 
Uh, and, and you're quite right to identify we shouldn't really talk about the mobile web anymore. We should really talk about the web. And yeah. it's amazing when it's not optimized for mobile. I mean, if you look at the stats now, um, even in somewhere like the UK, which is more of a, a desktop friendly country, you know, mobile usage is approaching 50% when you combine yeah. a smartphone and tablet together. Honestly, I think that's a bit of a misnomer because I feel that tablets are more like a desktop than, than they are smartphones. But even just taking smartphones on, on their own, they're kind of 35%. Um, and, you know, you look in other markets, somewhere like India or China, that percentage is much higher. It does depend on what sets you look at, you know, because obviously I think ones which are consumer heavy tend to have greater smartphone usage. If you're looking at something that's more business to business, you know, typically you will see uh, desktop predominating. Uh, but the, the pattern is, is pretty clear. It's been going that way for a while. Actually, kind of the growth of smartphone as a proportion of overall share has maybe slowed down a bit. The reason it perhaps doesn't get some investment or quite the level of appreciation is things like sales share is still higher on desktop. And you know, for something like e-commerce, basically, you're, you're more likely to convert better um, on desktop than you are on smartphone. Now, I actually think a lot of that is down to the, the poor design. If you get a really well done mobile website, you should get conversion rates that are, are comparable. But uh, that's partly a reflection of the audience. And I say that, again, depends on which country you're in. Um, but in, in my experience, you know, a lot can be gained by doing a really slick mobile first uh, experience when you're developing that website um, and where it's it, it lags. You know, there is obviously some hesitancy. I mean, if you think about the audience of people, you know, maybe booking your flight is a good example. Some people are just still a little bit reluctant to hand over, you know, a hundred plus pounds on what they see as a kind of a device that feels less safe. And it's totally about perception. It's not really in reality at all. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those big ticket items and, and some things, you know, you kind of want the big size of a, a desktop to maybe do the comparison with. Um, but I mean, I would contrast something like Amazon is a good example. There's quite a few instances where I will quickly just order something on my phone and I probably convert far better on a mobile Amazon yeah. than I do on, on desktop, which I tend to use for a bit more browsing every now and then. And certainly when you get into something like Amazon Prime now, and that actually goes back to a conversation we we're having earlier about web versus app, I can order something on Amazon Prime now um, in probably 60 seconds, and that would take a lot longer on desktop web and even on, on mobile web as well. And it will arrive an hour later. And that's definitely a mobile mediated <laughs> app first experience sort of and it, yes it's limited to london and it's a bit of a first world thing and yes there's all kinds of other things tied up in that but you can see for the younger audience that's exactly what they're demanding and you know that kind of real time on demand experience is clearly where the the future is going and it's pretty scary for traditional retailers and yeah. you know omnichannel is not a new idea by any means but uh, you know, the idea that retailers have to add together their online and offline experiences. And, you know, that all plays into the app. And it's all part of this same, same conversation is absolutely fascinating, which is why I sort of, sort of, when people talk to me about it, I say, actually, you know, we've seen massive change thanks to the smartphone, but it's really only getting going. And you, know, you look at something like Amazon, which is this enormous company, but actually in terms of retail sales, it's still a relatively small share of the US market, but it's not hard to see it increasing it and certainly together with its other online competitors. But even someone like Amazon, you know, they've opened a, uh, a physical retail presence in Seattle as a bookshop and are planning to do more as well. So it's, you know, you shouldn't 
force it down one side or the other. But you know, it's kind of a long, long-winded way of talking about this. But it's a, it's a really fascinating, fascinating topic, which I don't think gets enough attention because it's so much in the background. Yet the volume that goes through something like uh, the web on on smartphones is so big and actually can be very transformative to a company if they manage to do it properly. Of course, and and as I say, Windows 10 Mobile and Windows Phone, etc., can join in, Absolutely. and and, yeah. and the further and the more people upgrade to Windows 10 Mobile, including all the people with through the upgraded upgrade advisor, even people to the Insiders Preview, to the Release Preview ring of Windows 10 Mobile, it is worth doing, if only as Rafe just said there. Never mind my um, <laughs> proclaiming UWPs uh, on last week's podcast. There's the fact that you've got the Edge browser rather than Internet Explorer, and that can be a huge deal and will be a bigger deal as we go forward. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the AAWP podcast is where you can increase your IQ. I learned omni-channel and heterogeneous today, <laughs> thanks to Mr. Ray Blanc. Oh, but talking, of, uh, talking of AAWP, um, people have been asking about a UWP version of the All About Windows Phone application. I'm guessing, just from what we've been saying, that because the website is so darn good and responsive, we probably don't need one, Ray, but I'm interested in your, your thoughts. Yeah, so that, that's the plan for the time being. I mean, it's a good example of, you know, for these content-driven sites, you know, do you need to do the investment for an app and particularly for a site like all about windows phone it would be a significant undertaking to get that done um in terms of putting work into it actually i'd rather spend more time on making the the website in its uh, responsive form a little bit more responsive and performant on mobile devices because actually and when when the this design was first done it really it wasn't really done mobile first it was done you know designing down from desktop although did make a big effort to make sure that it was relatively light in terms of page weight and didn't uh, overdo uh, javascript and sort of external calls and so it's still pretty performant as as a site goes but you know i look at it now and go there's definitely improvements you can make to it um but actually i think the most valuable thing we still managed to deliver is the content itself and it's very consumable through the web uh, so there aren't any plans to do a UWP, AAWP app, mainly because actually you can, you know, stick a tile and get to that content pretty quickly. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that it's easier to do through the web. You know, some of the uh, images and the tables that Steve posts and some of the longer <laughs> feature editorials just don't translate very well into an app without a, a lot of additional effort. And I think yeah. it's fair to say my view is the concentration should be on the content and, you know, particularly as we're, what might be regarded as a, a niche topic area you know, where a subset within technology. Um, I think, you know, for us, actually, the web is a great way to deliver content. Um, and if anything, I'd probably focus on maybe looking at how can we uh, get better notifications for people to know that there is new content available. And obviously, that always used to be about RSS. Uh, you know, obviously, that still exists. We still do that. But um, with sort of Google Reader going away, I think it's fair to say, it's, and you can see it in the stats as well, fewer people consume by RSS and probably revisit um, how we get stuff out onto social media. I mean, we still do it onto Twitter. We're less good about Facebook. But, you know, for example, would it be interesting to be able to subscribe to a bot that pushed you a message via WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger every time there was a new article on the site? And, you know, maybe even you're able to, you know, send a bit of commentary back when you see that and you know, that arise in our inboxes as a comment. You know, just more ways to do engagement and that kind of interaction. 
Um, so yeah, uh, no plans for a, a <laughs> universal uh, Windows Phone app um, uh, just right now. But uh, if, if there's a developer out there that's interested in getting involved, actually all the kind of back-end system is, is set up. There's a whole bunch of uh, XML fees to make it all very easy to happen. But uh, just from my point of view, in terms of personal time investment, I can't really justify doing it at the moment. Yeah, you can tell that Rafe's quite, quite into bots at the moment, the number of times he's mentioned it. So there will, in future, I suspect, be a Rafe bot, a concrete bot, and an owl bot coming from the Blandford estate. Uh, quite possibly, but I think I might start with uh, an all-about-Windows phone bot, because I've been looking for an excuse to play with the technology. As I said, I mean, it's massively overhyped at the moment, but it is something I've been thinking about for uh, you know other things. Um and it is interesting in the Windows context, of course, because, you know, Facebook messaging, WhatsApp, and all of these uh, over-the-top messaging services do exist on, on Windows. And this idea that you'd be able to get at more content or more services way, it does interest me. And actually, it's not so much the bots that interest me as actually the conversational interfaces, because actually it's a pretty natural way to do something, to speak to something or to type into a box. And actually... Um, you know, what really brought me around to that opinion was what Microsoft did with Cortana and the way that that's a natural language interface that you can ask it a question and sometimes there'll be a follow-on question as well. And it just works really well. You know, geeks might refer to it as the command line, but, uh, you know, for everyone else, actually, the way you ask a question is actually very similar to the way you interact with, with people. And that's why that conversational interface and be it, you know, typed in a messaging service via audio for something like uh, Cortana or or indeed, you know, other means. Um, that I think it's very interesting thinking about that as kind of, I wouldn't call it a new computing platform or anything, but actually conversational as kind of a new interface, I think is a topic worth pursuing. So maybe we'll revisit that in a future podcast. Absolutely. Uh, I suppose I should get used also to, when talking about AAWP, of calling it all about Windows for phones, as I've kind of <laughs> informally <laughs> yes. rebranded it in my head, but justifying the fact that we're now covering Windows 10 and Windows 10 Mobile. But uh, anyway, more on that. Um, we, we've done it again, Ray. What we've done, we've had one small topic, which I intended to last two minutes, and we've, t- we've taken up over half an hour chatting very intelligently about it, hopefully, and very Oops. interestingly for the listeners. <laughs> but just a few other new stories before we go, because I want to cover some of the stories. Um, Microsoft has slash the prices of the 950-950XL. This was kind of not unexpected. It's been doing very special deals, but it's now officially, the 950 is now 320 and the 950XL officially 400, including VAT in the UK and similar reductions across Europe I'm, um, I, I had confirmed in the comments. So I guess this is this is not so much clearing inventory. Riff. I can't imagine they've made huge you know piles and there's not a 950 mountain somewhere. I think this is them basically repositioning and acknowledging the fact that now Windows 10 Mobile is getting more stable and more finished and they're of course approaching this redstone release the anniversary update they want to make sure that they've now got more and more phones more and more people out there more and more enthusiasts who are testing it using the os giving them feedback giving them more data points so i think everything's kind of gathering momentum and i see this price drop as part of uh, you know accelerating the whole process yeah i mean it's interesting because i think we'd expect to see it's starting to arrive at this price maybe in a couple of months time you know when you talk about nine months on that's always where we typically saw the biggest price drops but i think you're right you know this is kind of a, a new price point uh, yeah it, it seems unlikely to be inventory clearance right now uh, because it's you know it, it's still relatively expensive i mean this is definitely upper mid-tier pricing but i would note that this is through microsoft's own channel so you're kind of getting a, a good 
deal, but they're never going to shift enormous volumes. But it's a pretty attractive offer because you do get uh, a year subscription of Office 365 Personal and the Microsoft Display Dock, which, yeah. I mean, we're talking about sort of £160 worth of value. Now, I'm not sure I would pay that much for a dock. <laughs> I don't, don't think Continuum can quite justify that. But certainly I'd say there's £100 value there. Yeah. And particularly if you're already an Office 365 subscriber, you know, that will just get bumped on the end. And that suddenly means the phone's looking at around the 200 price. 200 pound price point and for the 950 that's pretty decent um and you know uh, for those who are smartphone geeks you say oh yeah i can kind of justify that because it's you know it's not full price and i can have a go with that and as we've said it's it's one of the best imaging phones on the market you know you won't find anything better um it's also of course reflecting you know the competitive nature of the smartphone uh, landscape and actually where Microsoft is in that. And I, I, I hesitate to say it, but I suspect they probably weren't selling very many at that full price. By bringing it down a bit, it does make it a bit more attractive for consumers. You know, we are talking about, you know, something that's come down, you know, easily a hundred pounds in, in price. And arguably when you're throwing in the extras, it's more like 200 pounds in price. So yeah, it's, it's a great deal. So if you sort of hesitated to this point, and with all the caveats that we've talked about in previous episodes around kind of the future of the platform and the viability of that ecosystem, to me, it's still, you know, it's a very good good value. Yeah, and the, the, the special offers you just mentioned, the Display Dock and the Office 365, they're through um, Lumia Offers actually on the handset, which means that however you obtain your new Lumia 950-950 XL through a reseller, perhaps like Amazon, and you can bet your bottom dollar that uh, the Amazon price will be readjusted to be lower than that 320 for a 950 fairly shortly as soon as they you know clear their current inventory and buy a new batch from Microsoft. So within a few weeks, we should see the Lumia 950 under £300 with that £100 of extra value available via the Lumia Offers application on the handset. And I would encourage people, perhaps there must be many people listening to this, for example, with a 920, a 925, even a 1020, who have upgraded or have stuck with 8.1, depending on what their, their feelings, and they think, well, I don't really want to spend £350, £400 just to get something that's slightly better. Um, this is an, an ideal opportunity. And now I think the price and the offers have got to the point where it's a serious upgrade opportunity for people who have been hanging on with those older flagships from a couple of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if you want to remain in the uh, Windows ecosystem, I think the 950 and 950XL remain, for the time being at least, the, the device of choice, yeah. especially at yeah. that price point. Now, I'm certainly willing to acknowledge that someone on something like uh, uh, say a 920 or 925 might be going at this point, well, should I move over to Android or iOS? And I wouldn't be unsympathetic if, if they did so. And certainly, I think if it was my only device, if I'm honest, I would would be tempted to to switch, um, but actually I enjoy the fact I can have both. And as uh, as I've said a couple of times on the podcast, it it remains my personal device of choice. Uh, you know, yes, I'm carrying a second device. That's kind of reflecting work and also the reality of uh, smartphone ecosystem. So you know, I, I appreciate it's not an easy one, but arguably it has become a little bit easier given this price drop. Absolutely, and we should just mention there's been a, another brand new. Uh, Windows 10 mobile handset announced in the last week or so and uh, we did did kind of predict this and trail this um, that through the uh, there would be other manufacturers putting their ore and this is from Funko which is a Spanish manufacturer kind of a funky name (laughs) no pun intended Uh, this is the uh, W6.0 Pro 2 which really rolls off the tongue not (laughs) but uh, here's the the basic specs I mean we're talking about a 6 inch 1080p screen which would be fine um, given it's IPS it's not Pentel so it will be a full RGB stripe so you won't really see the pixels 
Gorilla Glass 3, a Snapdragon 617 processor, which is faster than it sounds, 3 gig of RAM, which is kind of needed because it's also Continuum capable. Um, I think it's just via Miracast and wirelessly. There's no direct um, cable connection because it's micro USB, Rafe. There's a 3900 milliamp hour battery, which that sounds like it'll keep it going for a couple of days. 13 megapixel main camera. Um, this looks like, uh, yeah, 32 gigabyte storage plus micro SD. This is a very, pretty darn capable phone. We don't actually have a price yet, but um, I'm imagining that um, if this sort of thing comes out to other countries than Spain, then this, this could actually be a serious option. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, looking at the specs, you suspect between 250 and 300 pounds, but it's always difficult to, to say. I mean, this is a good example of, I mean, we talk about it being a Spanish manufacturer, but obviously it's kind of uh, going out to, to China or somewhere like that and kind of buying the off-the-shelf bits and putting it all together and then putting kind of the casing around the outside, which will be the unique bit, and then the branding and potentially some bits of software. Um, but it looks like it will be one of the more competitive continuum devices. And it's, like you said, interesting to see it's running on the Snapdragon 617 in contrast to the, the Lumia devices, which were on those higher-end processors. So continuum is clearly capable of being on these kind of what I describe as mid-tier, um, yeah. at least processor uh, specifications. The rest of it's actually pretty high-end. Um, and it looks like it's a pretty thin design. You know, it, to be honest, it looks like any number of those kind of nameless Android devices. That isn't necessarily a bad thing because we've talked in the past about how these things have become commoditized. I mean, I will always miss and I always liked the Nokia and the Lumia devices because they did have that signature design and you almost immediately could tell you were picking up a, a Lumia device. But the reality is the market has spoken and the vast majority of devices, particularly once you get away from the top end, are pretty hard to distinguish from each other. And you know, the, the difference between a, a Huawei or a Honor, well, they should be similar because they're the same company, um, but even something like a Xiaomi versus a Sony. And of course, they each have their own unique characteristics, but they certainly don't have their distinct identity and the funk is kind of uh, uh, no exception to that particular rule. Um, yeah. So I think I'm right in saying, see, funk has been around for a little while uh, and they've had a they have another uh, Windows device, the W five point five Pro, but this is very much yeah. kind of the phablet device, a six inch screen. We've said in the past, you know, yeah. it's maybe a bit big, but they also do some Android devices. But kind of interesting that one of these Android manufacturers has decided to pick up and run with Windows ten mobile and and do a continuum version, uh, yeah. and you know, ostensibly pretty high specs because you know it's got stuff like Gorilla Glass three as well, um, and you know it's. Yeah, you look at it and go, okay, that seems like an interesting device. And a lot will come down to the price. Uh, but, uh, you know, enterprise or consumer, I think more enterprise may be interest. But, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how devices like this do, because they certainly don't have a good track record in the Windows space before this. But arguably, they yeah. were always going to be overshadowed by, by Lumion. So now there's a bit of breathing room. I, honestly, I find it hard to kind of be too gung-ho about this, simply because... I sort of go, I think you, the advantage of Lumen was it had a string, strong manufacturer, very much kind of created that Windows market. It's going to be hard for these little guys, but, um, you know, looking at the specification here and the basic pictures that we have got access to, there doesn't appear to be anything immediately go, well, I'm just going to, that's rubbish. The hardware is horrible. No, it actually looks pretty good. Um, as always, it's probably going to be the software and how well that's integrated and you know, have they fixed all the bugs and have they done that? I know in some yeah. of the, the devices you've reviewed previously from these smaller manufacturers, that can be a bit <laughs> of a sticking point. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the yes, Billy, enough said. Uh, they, noticeably, they haven't actually got back in touch with me since my early reviews. I suspect they've kind of lost interest, but which is a shame, really. But they, they really didn't put any effort whatsoever into optimizing the software for the hardware. The thing that caught my eye on this Funko one, you don't need to reply on the podcast, Rafe, but just as just for our listeners, is the fact that they are concentrating unashamedly on this, this phablet form factor on the larger devices. And this is absolutely where Windows 10 Mobile shines. I mean, we mentioned before, really, the Lumia 1520, the Lumia 950XL, the experience of Windows 10 Mobile on those devices is stellar. And when, if, you, if I, for example, I sent the 950XL down to Gavin Fabiani Lamont, one of our tech friends, this week, and he's been, he did a, a review on it, I think he was really quite impressed, really. And when you hand someone a, de- a device that size with Windows 10 Mobile, they don't just shudder and think, oh, this is just a, a toy, like they perhaps might have done with Windows Phone on a 3.7-inch screen or back, you know, back in the day. All of a sudden, you've got a serious little computer. And, and Funker actually say on the, in the promo, they say, is it a smartphone? Is it a tablet PC? You choose. It's the power of Windows 10. And that really is the message that we've been trying to focus on really this is with is where windows 10 mobile and windows 10 as the universal platform can shine and i think we we will just certainly see in our ecosystem here with windows 10 i think we'll see the phone size of things getting larger and larger even though in the android world things are kind of focusing back and you know, shrinking back down again to the five inch 5.2 inch screens with small vessels i think we might start to see something larger in the windows world and that's maybe a, tre- a trend that bucks the wider industry trend yeah yeah i think it's absolutely right yeah, and uh, the shortness of Rafe's answer there indicates that we're at the end of the podcast. We, <laughs> yes. he's, he's eager for uh, some food. I'm eager for a beer. We'll save a couple of other topics for next week's show because we'll be here next week. In the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. And I'll sign off and say goodbye. Yeah, that's absolutely. Uh, goodbye from me as well. We've got next time we'll talk about some of the latest uh, Windows 10 mobile releases and uh, talk about some of the release previews that are going on as well. Um, and all the other usual topics. And I know we've got an app review or two that we want to talk through. So uh, until next week, thank you very much for listening and please tune in next time.